Hi, I'm Curtis Hill, and you are listening to The Extra Point. As I record this, it is the week of January 5th, 2020. This is the first Extra Point in a new year, so Happy New Year to you. I'm so glad that you downloaded this. The Extra Point is a place where I can share a little more of what's on my mind, especially related to the Sunday morning message at Ogletown Baptist Church. This past Sunday, I finished a series that I had been working through. We called the series, What We Need Now. And I had preached from Isaiah 1 to Isaiah 12, really leading us up to the advent, the coming of Jesus the first time. So I wanted to highlight some of those passages like Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, that really are a focal point at Christmas time of Jesus coming, God coming in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. So we finished that whole series with Isaiah 12, and I loved Isaiah 12. I don't think I had ever seen what a treasure it is. So Isaiah 12, I just want to read it again because it has meant so much to me over the last few weeks of studying it. Isaiah 12 says, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I will trust him and not be afraid. For the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. What a beautiful passage. I think this would be one that would be well worth memorizing if you had time to invest. And what a great investment of time that would be. On that day, you will say, I will give thanks to you, Lord. Which day? On what day will we say that? Well, this is connected, Isaiah 12, of course, to Isaiah 11, in which it talks about a descendant of Jesse, a descendant of David who will come. We know that is Jesus Christ. So on that day when he comes, which he has come, and we also look forward to his second coming, but he has come. So we can say all these things in Isaiah 12. These words should be on our lips. I love this story because Isaiah 12 is a celebration of a rescue story. And we've been emphasizing that again and again, that Isaiah tells the grand theme of scripture as a rescue story, a story where God comes to our rescue. One of the things that was brought to my attention, a question that was asked, and I think it's a good question. The question is, how does the Bible talk about God as being angry? So I think the question is referring to verse one of Isaiah 12, where it says God's anger has turned away. So how does the Bible deal with this issue of God's wrath or God's anger? If we're not careful, does it just sound like pagan deities, myths and legends, maybe fiction stories, poems, where the gods are angry and you have to make sure they're not by doing something, offering some sacrifice? So how do we understand the anger of God? Well, this is a large question. Books have been written on the subject, but I do want to dig into this because I think it's so critical to the message of, of Isaiah 12. That's where it starts. Lord, you were angry with me, but your anger has turned away. So I, I would say a few things, and this will not be exhaustive, but I will say a few things about God's anger. One is that it's not like ours. So we have to realize that. When I think of my own anger, I think of losing my temper, flying off the handle, regretting things. Oh, sure, there's a category we all have for righteous anger where we're mad at something 
sinful or wrong or something harmful to others. But most of the time, our anger is more selfish than that. It's not so much righteous. It's unrighteous. God's anger, God's wrath, and the Bible talks about it, is not something where he just has lost control. He's flying off the handle. There's something clear, something direct. It's never misguided. He never comes back to regret something later and need to make amends in some capacity. Also, God's anger is directed at things that ruin, things that spoil creation. And so even when sin enters into the world, it brings death, and death is called in Scripture an enemy. So sin has entered into this world bringing death, and death is an enemy. Death ruins creation. It ruins that picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of God making a very good world. We also need to recognize that God's anger means there is immediate consequences. So even in Numbers, be sure that your sin will find you out. There are consequences to the wrong things we do. Uh, Sometimes those consequences are delayed. Sometimes they're very immediate. We have a relationship broken because we said something in haste or something harshly. So anger, God's anger directed towards sin does mean there's consequences. It's not as if we can just erase it and act like it never happened. God's anger also means there are ultimate consequences. So for a world that continually rebels and rejects God, does things their own way, we get a picture of this even in Genesis uh, 6 and some of the other chapters relating to Noah and the story of him rescuing, uh, being a rescuer, the ark rescuing Noah and his family. God ultimately pours out his wrath on sin. There are ultimate consequences where sin is dealt with and sin is judged. And if you've ever been, if you've ever been sinned against, you know the hunger you have for righteousness being done in some capacity. Well, God promises there will be ultimate judgment. There really couldn't be a new heaven and new earth that's perfect without God dealing with this heaven, this earth, where there is sin and, and things that are wrong. I would say though, there's another key difference between uh, God's anger and the anger you might read in some a sci-fi book or fantasy book about the gods or pagan deities. And that is that God's anger is turned away by an act of love that he does. So in sending Jesus, God so loved the world, this world was condemned already, but God provided the way of rescue himself. So God turns away his anger through something he does. And that is right at the heart of Christian theology and what it means to understand the rescue of God. I love how salvation is talked about in Isaiah 12. With past dimensions, you were angry with me, but you have dealt with that. Present dimensions, you have become my salvation. And even future dimensions, it talks about drawing from the well of salvation. I don't think that means getting saved again and again and again. It does mean, though, recognizing that the Lord is our rescuer. And it's one thing I was trying to emphasize this past Sunday is Our lives, our lives, weeks should not go by. I don't think days should go by without us recognizing I was lost. I was in rebellion. I was drowning. I was dying. And God came to my rescue. So every time you say, Lord, thank you for saving me, you are drawing from that well of salvation. And the Lord is becoming your strength and your song. And you're recognizing he has become my salvation. So I just wanted to highlight a few of those things that came up in Isaiah 12, and I hope that passage 
is meaningful to you. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, ask a question for a future podcast, make a comment, please just shoot me an email at chill at ogletown.org. I'd love to hear from you. I did want to take a few minutes here and let you know of a series that I am starting this coming Sunday. So that'll be January the 12th, Lord willing. And it is a series in the book of Acts. I haven't preached much from the book of Acts since I've been at Ogletown, a sermon here and there, but I've not gone through it in uh, in the form of a series. And I don't know how deep we'll get into the book of Acts. I, I hope to cover the first several chapters, maybe even the first half of Acts. I, I don't know what pace we'll be going, but I, I hope to cover it in enough detail where we really get the message, but also where we sense the movement of Acts, because I do think it is a book that is moving geographically and it's spreading, the word of God is spreading and witnesses are going into all the earth. I love the book of Acts because it bridges the life and work of Jesus with where we are now. So we don't always identify with everything in the Old Testament because it was the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and there are laws. Most of us are not ethnic Israelites, so there are things we just don't identify with. And frankly, there are things that we don't always identify with in the Gospels because Jesus isn't visibly present with us. We don't follow him. We're not walking on the water with him. We're not in boats with him. We're not listening to teaching. We're not eating bread that he's made, feeding 5,000 hungry people. We don't have that experience. We read about Peter and James and John and Matthew and all of their experiences. But when you come to the book of Acts, something different is happening. We actually can identify quite a bit with the followers of Jesus in Acts because Jesus ascends to heaven right there in Acts 1, and then he sends the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And the experience of those believers often very similar to ours. So I think it's helpful there. We'll dig into some of those themes. We get insights into what is next for the people of God. Many things in Acts are unique, and we need to recognize that. They're not repeated. Uh, we don't find records of, you know, another 12 apostles being picked. We don't find records of, you know, 17 Pentecosts in the book of Acts. So it seems like there are some of these things that are one-time events. So that's that should be telling to us. In the same vein, though, there are while there are things that are unique, we learn from the ways that things are started. And so when this the, the church is born, Jesus promised to build his church and he sends the Holy Spirit with power. And it seems like the, the church begins to gather in Acts chapter two. We we learn from the way things are started. So I'm very, very excited about this upcoming series. I want to ask you, if you listen to the extra point to begin reading Maybe take some time to read through Acts 1. Look for themes. Look for the message of the resurrection and how often Jesus is alive comes up. Look at the unity of the church, how they are together. Look at how they pray together. I think that'd be very instructive for Ogletown. Look at the ways the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned and talked about. And we'll learn a lot about that. Look for Jesus. Because although Jesus ascends to heaven in chapter 1, he is still ruling and building his church. Uh, he is invisible, but he is sovereign in the book of Acts. So I look forward to that. And one more recommendation I wanted to just share with you. It's a book that I'm reading right now, and it is a book by Stephen Sheed. I'll link to this in the show notes. It is a book by Stephen Sheed, who's a pastor in Australia, about growing in prayer. It's 28 just little reflections that help but prompt us to pray. And so beginning of the new year, if you feel like 2019 wasn't the best year you've ever had in praying, maybe this would be a helpful helpful thing for you to dive into. Uh, I want to recommend it to you. I think I'm on day eight or nine of this 28-day walk through prayer and 
already it is giving me something every day to think about and something every day to prompt more prayer. So it's not just a book about prayer. It's pushing you to actually pray. I love the book. So uh, I hope you might benefit from it as well. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'm sure there's much more we could talk about, but I hope these few minutes have served you well. Bye for now. And I want to thank you again for listening to this week's edition of The Extra Point. Mm.